Chipran Rivera, welcome to Radio Wolf again. I'm happy to see you. For whoever doesn't know you yet, uh, one or two sentences. Oh, what is your work about? Who are you? I'll tell you. I'll tell you who I am uh, in maybe an old way first, which says I am the son of Pedro and Aixa. I am the father to Darshan. I am a partner to Tuesday, and I co-parent with Darshan's mother, Samantha. I Most of my work over the last 15 years has been as a facilitator of group process, predominantly among leaders in social movement spaces, mainly in North America, but also in all parts of the world, including Latin America. Over the last couple of years, my, my work has moved more uh, towards uh, coaching, coaching of groups, coaching of leadership, of leadership teams, and doing more and more healing work. And all of those things flow together. Uh, but that's, that's the essence of what I do. My commitment, I think very much like yours, Thomas, is to be in service of the emergence of a new we, a true idea, a true felt belief that there's something that can happen between us that can that is awake and can and, and can, can awake and it's calling us forward and with our attention it, it, it comes to life. So mm-hmm. that's that's my life's passion and commitment. If I may add to that, you are quite a well-recognized voice in the transformation of social movements in in the Americas and our Uh, many people uh, see you as someone who's really kind of uh, showing a, a path in how we can do things here in a different way. And uh, one thing that really connects us is this dialogical space that is in itself a transformational space, particular also for social movements, but not only. Yeah. And as we were talking about uh, this conversation, uh, you mentioned something about um, uh, liberalism in a certain understanding of the word liberalism that's maybe not the first thing that comes to one's right. mind. And yeah. you, you position it between wokeness on one side and Putin on the other side, uh, as we are in the middle of a, a, a horrible war here in Europe. And there's something about uh, this space that you can call liberalism, where the kind of uh, how fixed identities or uh, orthodox uh, uh, rigorous uh, um, uh, belief systems, let's call it this way, are are getting violent. And this is something that definitely, uh, I mean, when when we talk about the Ukraine situation right now, uh, you see this in in a horrible way. But there's something about this space that has a lot to do with transformation of social movements, has a lot to do with dialogue, and has a lot to do with your work. Do you want to say more about that? I I do, and I'm going to ask you ahead of time to please pause and interrupt me um, if I if if there's any point because I feel like there's such a flood of things I want to say, and I, I'm going to trust you to help facilitate me here. Um, There is a, I'm taken by Robert Keegan's thought that the jungle grows back. You know, I am from Puerto Rico 
And in Puerto Rico, you go down the highway and you see a concrete wall and then you see green bursting through that wall, right? It's like nature is so lush that no matter how like how much you want to cement it down, it keeps growing back. So there's something about the jungle that grows back. And, and it is hard for us to understand the way that, that, that this kind of violence that we are witnessing right now in the aggression of, of uh, Russia against Ukraine is has been the, the human norm, right, for the millennia, that, that there's this, this kind of exceptional period where this idea of like what the Western liberal tradition has, has, has tried to make its way forward. And look, I, I want to be very clear about a couple of things. By this, I don't mean liberal versus conservative, like one like they do here in the United States. Mm-hmm. I really mean the, this, this idea that ideas can be contested in a democratic way, right? Mm-hmm. Through a democratic process rather than, rather than through violence and war. That somehow we got to make room to sort things out uh, in a democratic process. I want to say something else to be clear, which is this ideal has never been fully realized, right? Mm-hmm. Its biggest proponents uh, have expressed it in the most in in the most incomplete ways. Again, referring back to being from Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico is a colony without voting rights, right? And it is a colony of the United States, the power that has supposed to be kind of the, the upholder of the liberal world, world order, right? I am coalesced, right, with Black people and Indigenous people and other people of color in this country who are often excluded from this liberal ideal. So I'm not in any way pretending, right, that it is perfected. I would even suggest that it has been imperialistic in its approaches. Nevertheless, it holds a kernel of truth that if we don't value, like if we don't pay attention to, then what is going to happen is what is happening is that the jungle of violence is going to grow right back. I can I can give you then maybe an example of what I mean by the connection between Putin and wokeness. Mm-hmm. And I can share that I grew up in a religious fundamentalist community where that community had a very rigid understanding of what was true and what was not, right? And it had this this mantra, this idea, we are in the world, but not of the world, right? It It set itself aside from the world. And it was held together by making those outside wrong and itself right, right? And unfortunately, it held the people that were inside they were held together by the threat of exile, right? Mm-hmm. You break the rules, you will be exiled from this community. And exile is one of the p- most primal of fears that human beings have. We know we need the tribe to survive, right? And so, and so I tell you all of this as background because when I see that kind of fundamentalism, I know the way it tastes, I know the way it smells, and I know the way it looks like. And so in my work within social movements, I end up working in spaces 
where woke ideology or woke fundamentalism is very, very present, right? Mm -hmm. And it feels very much like the fundamentalism I grew up with, right? It's the, it's the same thing, right? And so it is it is Ill, it is not liberal in its nature. There are ideas that are banned. There are things that cannot be spoken. You cannot contest a possibility. There's the intellectuals can be can be banned from colleges, right? College administrations have to like do this ritual of of endless apologizing for things that they could not possibly control. So there's something about it that is something we keep going back to as human beings for some reason. You see it all over the place. We pick a truth and we try to to trap the world into that truth and to constrain it, perhaps because the world is too big for us to understand. Mm -hmm. And what we are seeing now at a global level is an autocrat moving violently against a nation and a set of nations that at least aspire, even if they flail, to this this liberal idea, right? And, and, And the last thing I'll say about it is another thing that is common in both, well, this is common in woke people, Right. This is coming in Trump borders here in the United States, but I'm sure right right wing movements all over the world as they appear, as it is common in Putin. Underneath it is a politics of resentment. Right. Mm-hmm. There is there is a bitterness. There is an envy. There is a resentment. Right. That that yields this kind of behavior and mm-hmm. this kind of violence that causes separation mm-hmm. um, under the guise of wanting protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. When I listen to you, there's the certain elements uh, that you're touching. One is fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. The other is identity. Yeah. And the third is resentment. Yeah. And what I find interesting, it does not matter where your identity is. It can be, as you're saying, a vogue identity. It can be a Trumpist identity. It can be a Russian identity. It works the same way. And the way you you talk about liberalism is is really different than we usually talk about liberalism. Because there is, you you also can have a liberal fundamentalism, in fact, which works the very same way that you do, uh, that you you described, uh, which uh, has its own thing and sometimes has a very rigid libertarian identity uh, that that works in a similar way. What I hear you is this capacity to to meet beyond identity. Yes. yes. Which does not mean, uh, if I understand you right, that you don't have an identity. Right. Because it's it, it's not. Uh, I, th- I think it's uh, it's also important not to deny our not only right but also our necessity to have an identity. That's right. As Austrian, Puerto Rican, yeah. European, uh, African American, whatever, yeah. Russian, yeah, uh, uh, and that is that is part of who we are. And, but there's something where we can meet beyond that, uh, which is uh, how how did you phrase it uh, that we work things out, mm-hmm. it, which sounds which sounds kind of a very kind of. Uh, 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 
like it wouldn't be a big deal uh, to work things out. It's, it's, it's so much uh, sounds like you, human sense, <laughs> but common sense, I mean. Uh, but this capacity to work things out means also that, that there's a trust that we meet in something that uh, implies our uh, humanness, that we respect for each other, respect for different perspectives, and something that we are already together in. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a, a capacity that we don't cultivate. That's right. That's right. That's and right. I find it really a, a virtue yeah. of uh, our open society to be able to to not know, uh, to to listen to otherness, and then allow something to emerge out of whatever our dialogue, discussion, debate, even confrontation maybe, which is of utter importance if you want to come together in this world. That is, that is it. That is it. And I think that's where the work that you do and the work that we've been doing together through your teaching has been such an important way of, of leaning into that, you know, as a, as, as a facilitator or somebody that holds groups for a living and helps them move and get somewhere and find common ground and like turn it to turn on to that like togetherness and generative capacity. What is amazing to me, so let's call that right now a core identity that I have held, right? Mm-hmm. When I am in dialogue practice, what is amazing to me is that even that, even that sense of expertise, even that sense of mastery that I've identified with has to be set aside. Mm-hmm. I, 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 to, to be a, a quote-unquote facilitator or a holder of the space in the dialogue, I got to drop a lot of the facilitation tools that I hold in other spaces. And so like what I'm trying to do now when I go to the other spaces is how do I integrate more of what I'm learning Right, even though I'm like pursuing this more linear task, so that's that's maybe a longer conversation to have with with you as one of my teachers in this. But I will share a couple of things that are about about what you just said. I think another data point is Puerto Rico being a colony, and mm-hmm. me having migrated at the age of twelve and sort of orienting back to the home I had lost and yearned for. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a nationalist family right with a nationalist ideology and with that i mean like like puerto rican independence right and like and what was interesting because i was 12 right and 12 maybe into like almost 30 my lens of the world was principally through my being a puerto rican like everything it was like this is what puerto ricans do this is what puerto ricans are this is what i represent my home had flags and symbols and it was like it was like this lens that i had to use to uphold my sense of pride to uphold my sense of rebellion to uphold my thirst for justice Right. And, and in so many ways, it gave me a kind of strength that perhaps a young man needed uh, in a, in, to, a, to a certain formation. But it was also a massive constraint on the possibility of my humanness. Right. And like today, like as, as you know, I'm like, I am proud. I enjoy being Puerto Rican. I have some sadness, for example, that my son, who's 
half Chinese, half Puerto Rican, uh, born in Boston, will never have, even though he has this blood, he'll never have a certain sensibility, right, that, that I have access to in terms of my human experience. But at the same time, that that identity was too big. And I believe it was, a, 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 I think his name is Paul Graham, and he's a, like a sage of Silicon Valley. And he wrote an essay that I never forget, which he said, keep your identity small, right? Mm-hmm. Like you need to have it, but you got to keep it small because the bigger it is, the more you need to like make the world fit into it. And the more that is a threat when your ideas uh, are shaken, right? And so the more you resist. Um, so I found that I found that powerful. I think the last thing I'll say here before opening up for you again is one of the complications with this upholding of liberalism is that if you take, let's, the French were part of it, the English, but I'm in the United States. So let's take the American Revolution, the founding fathers, the constitution, the establishment of this order outside of the king, right? And this idea where democracy could be contested, all of these things. Central to it, this middle, right? This shared humanity, this central place, this middle place where people negotiated was fundamentally male and white, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I wrestle with as I try to like take a stand for, for liberal ideals is like, what does a new middle look like, right? Mm-hmm. What does it, because, because every time we, we, we call it forward, we don't seem to understand that we equate white and human, right? White and normal. And so it's like, how do we find this liberal ground for like contending with our differences mm-hmm. where the center is not whiteness? And I, I don't have an answer for that, but I feel like that's, one of the tricks, right? When I, when I like stand for Western liberalism, for too many people is like the same thing that has been pushed on on people all over the world, right? In the name of democracy, but truly imperialism. So that's a tension that I'm that 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 I can't quite, that I haven't quite sorted out in terms of like leaning into this. Yeah. <laughs> Allow me to, to mention some things that uh, show up for me, also being very much uh, white and male and European and uh, historically on the other side of the fence in, in, in all of that, uh, that uh, white maleness, uh, there are two sides, which is basically, uh, of course, uh, white supremacy, uh, uh, our 500 years of colonial history that created a kind of a of a sense of uh, it's natural to be on top of the hierarchy in in, in this. And this is something that uh, is deep into our identity and uh, German identity. Uh, everyone knows this is a big part of, part of it. But there is also something else that this white male identity is identified with something specific uh, which was uh, the historical process of the last couple of hundred years, which is the commodification of reality. Mm. Basically, what we call liberal is basically to reduce everything 
and I mean everything to transactional commodified relationships. Wow. Where, where out of our own history, Western Enlightenment, uh, the birth of capitalism, and uh, the capitalistic way of seeing things, that basically everything can be a deal, and this deal understood in economic terms. There's something where this identity is, uh, on one hand, a group identity of white male Europeans, but it's also an identity that's a certain perspective of seeing the world that we also call liberal. I think that's a big part of the shell side of liberal, that we don't see anything beyond the commodification of reality. And in that sense, I even appreciate uh, people coming in with their traditional identity because it holds a richness that this commodified world has completely lost. It has become this big machinery of profit-making. It doesn't even matter so much who is making the profit because everything is reduced to it, independent of who is, uh, I mean, it's not true. Of course, it makes a huge difference who is making the profit, who is doesn't make the profit. But seeing everything just through this lens is already destructive in itself, independent of which side of this game you are. That is awesome. Thank you for bringing that in. That's so in that's so central to uh, that's so central to the problem that we're talking about. Thank you for bringing it because it's not just things like you said. With Professor John Powell, uh, he he speaks of the European Enlightenment project of the isolated self. Yeah, right, and that's so. It. All right, and so like that separation, uh, it's the, it, the the self itself mm-hmm. is is separated and commodified, and it's this thing that you build and that you work on, and this is why in uh in the in the healing work that we were talking about earlier, this is where it gets really tricky, right? Because it's so important to heal from your trauma, but in postmodern narcissism, it's very easy to get stuck in that story of me and what I need and my own growth and my, and Mm -hmm. so like, and so there's something about, there's something about that separation of even identities that, 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 that is directly connected to the commodification of life. I, I fully, I fully feel what you're saying, especially again, having the, the blessing, right. Of, of, of growing up in a context where the communal mm-hmm. is that it's is shared, where I where I can enter it and experience it in a very different way than I can in in, in here mainstream American culture. And I'm just I just wonder, yeah, I just I just wonder what it would mean to integrate and include, to reclaim, to, to, to reclaim that memory of what it's like to feel and be together um, in a way that doesn't commodify uh, our experience. Mm-hmm. What, what, what does that make possible um, when it comes to the contestation of ideas, right? When it comes to to trying to figure out the hairiest of problems, the problems that we have right now. Yeah. And maybe 
uh, what we are struggling for is uh, a higher integration of something here, uh, where we uh, also honor again identity. Yeah. And with identity, I, 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 I do mean a group identity, a traditional identity, because uh, it holds something that is undoubtedly, and there I really uh, also want to appreciate conservative thinking, it appreciates a richness that in commodification of traditional liberalism is completely lost. Everything is flattened. It's brought to the, basically everything is just brought to the dollar, period. And there's something in, in, in traditional thinking that holds up something that's before that, that are not that I necessarily want to go back, but I appreciate that something got lost. And there's something also about rationality uh, in, in, in modern thinking that I appreciate, but there's something about uh, appreciating parts of who we are that is before and beyond that, that are, is part of how we meet each other yeah. to, uh, to, to acknowledge that. But in this is maybe the synthesis that, uh, that, that we have to look for to not uh, throughout the baby with the bathwater, bath that there's something in liberalism, what you just simply said is working things out. Yeah. That means uh, meeting in the open. Yeah. And allowing something to emerge between us. Yeah. That is more than kind of uh, a simple rationalistic commodity uh, working things out, but it yes. appreciates all the dimensions that we are part of which are traditional elements, but by the way, also spiritual ones, acknowledgement yes. of the sacredness, which yes. we also lost by the commodification of everything. There's nothing sacred anymore uh, because we, we, we can buy everything. That's basically what, 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 what this is about. So to the, the deeply recognition that uh, uh, being in, in relationship, in any kind of relationship has something sacred and wants to be honored as something are coming together in things are not as fundamentally seen, fixed and done. And uh, this is what it is. And we know already know, we don't know. That's right. Uh, is a, a higher integration of who we can be as humans, where we hold the differences, but we also can come together in our humanness as a whole that I think uh, we need to go for because otherwise we either fall back to kind of fundamentalist identities, as we see any kind, and it doesn't matter if it's Putin, if it's Volk, if yeah. it's Modi in Indian or Erdogan in Turkey, or we all see these fundamentalist reactions. That These are all reactions to, to our capitalist reality of where basically everything sacred is lost. But to see, we don't have to go there, but we can honor it. And, and honor at the same time what you started to begin with, this liberal value to meet, to meet in the open. That's right. That's so beautiful. That is so, I mean, so much of what you just said touched me deeply. And I, I want to say three things in response. Something about, to begin with your point about something in our traditional identities. Now, I want to be clear, like, this has been happening forever especially in this country, the United States where I am as, a, as an act of resistance. But one of the beautiful things that has come out 
of the racial uprising mm -hmm. is that the media and publishers are paying attention, right? Like they are, they are bringing black characters. They're making room for black stories to be told on, on, on the streaming channels. Publishers are, 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 are like lifting up books and authors, right? And so, for example, I have two in mind that I'm enjoying right now. In, on Netflix, on Apple TV, I'm enjoying a show called uh, The Last Day of Tommy Gray. And, and, and the book that I'm reading is called, and differently, it's a book called The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois, which is not about Du Bois himself, but about, uh, about somebody that's influenced by him. And both of them give you this, this rich, layered depth to the intricacies of black culture as it is, right? Mm -hmm. it, uh, it, it makes it more than, than like, we're gonna make this room diverse by bringing a black person in or a brown person in. Now it's diverse, right? No, it's actually bringing in the, the richness of the culture that's, that is specific, that is held in the embodiment of these characters, right? And so in that way, lifting up those traditional identities becomes a way into the humanism, I think, that is at the heart of the, of the liberal aspiration. Not how it is, not, not, the, not its commodification, right? But the deep humanism that is, that is, that is at the heart of this yearning, right? And so, so uh, to go back to the jungle grows back, I'm really influenced by Jamie Wheel, right? And he just recently, he goes, remember, remember guys, like tribalism is the norm. Like we know how to do that, right? Humanism is the thing that takes the effort, right? But the problem is that if the only entry to humanism is to forget my roots, to forget who I am, to forget that, that thing that the conservative perspective does hold, then too much is lost, right? Mm -hmm. and, and a part of what is lost is ritual. Mm -hmm. Part of what is lost is ceremony, right? Part of, and, and that is like, I always say like a ceremony and a ritual is the way we remember things before writing and before the internet, right? It's like, it's like the way the ancestors like etched in ourselves and our consciousness. These are the important things to know. This is how you connect to each other. This is how you connect to the mystery. So for example, in my, in my healing work, in my medicine work, when I work with, with medicines, I make it clear that I, I am not coming in from a therapeutic framework. No, I'm not, I know there's nothing wrong with a therapeutic framework, but, but what I'm bringing is a healing framework and that that framework includes an altar. It includes a ceremony. It includes a prayer. It includes touch and working with energy, right? It includes bringing in those aspects of ourselves that are more like mind, mind to discourse, right? It's, it, it, is a, it's, it, is a, it is richer in its nature. And so, and so the idea is how do we hold all of that Go back. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know where, so, I, where you lost it. Uh, yes. uh, you, you talked about the ritual. Uh, yeah. 
uh, if you just continue there. Yeah, yeah. I, I just say that when when the healing when I do the healing work, I'm not doing it from a therap when I'm working with medicine and healing. I'm not doing it from a therapeutic perspective. I'm doing from a I'm doing it as a healing modality, and there's an altar there. Mm-hmm. There's a prayer, mm-hmm. right? There are scents, right? There's work with energy. There's vision, right? There is like a way to bring in. And so to me, the, 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 the sophistication is in being able to hold ritual without reverting to fundamentalism, right? Because ritual very easily lends itself to like, this is the way you do it, right? Mm-hmm. This is the right way, right? And so, and so I think it's, 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 this, it's this way of integrating and including the best of what has been given to us while opening to that which we're yet to discover, you know? What, what do you think is the power and importance of ritual? In that? Why ritual? Yeah. Well, I think that I like to compare it to if you if we we can easily think about the importance of writing about the importance of the printing press mm-hmm. about the importance of reading and study mm-hmm. about the importance of the internet right we can we can we can feel very logically how important that is and how that has shaped everything right and the culture since mm-hmm. what 400 five years since gutenberg right and it changed the structure of power right and Before that, how did we know what was most important? How was it transmitted, Mm -hmm. right? How did the people that lived through earlier apocalypse, right? That's the important thing. We talk about Mm -hmm. living at the end of times, but African folk experienced the apocalypse, right? Indigenous folk experienced the apocalypse. Like all of our ancestors have experienced the apocalypse. How were we taught how to survive? What to remember in terms of crisis? What right action is, right? What it means to live a moral and dignified life? What it means to stand for this tribe? How to know what to die for, right? Mm -hmm. All of these things, how to connect to the ineffable, Mm -hmm. right? How to connect to the mystery. All of this. It's, it's, it's not just like written in a book. There was no writing, mm-hmm. right? All of this was remembered around the fire in chant, in stories, in enactments of the stories, right? In the songs, in the dancing of things together. This is how we remember. In, in, in fact, I'll share one more thing, which is my son who is 10 years old, um, was just at a, at a play. And the entire school was part of this play, a school play. It was two days. Um, it was in the auditorium of a community college so they have professional lives and all of that. And the school goes through like the sixth grade. So I think the oldest kids are 12 years old. And, and they do it every two years because it takes so much of their time to do it. And in it, they were talking about justice, accountability, and restoration, right? And they were talking about the importance of moving away from punishment as as a way to 
to correct things, right? And so it was like, okay, so somebody does something wrong. How is the relationship restored versus the person exiled or punished or shamed? And what was amazing is these kids had drum lines, right? They had entire, like, what you might call a dance battle, right? They had, they were, they were doing these things that are ancient, right? In our knowing. And none of these kids are Boston kids with some privilege, mm -hmm. right? Kids that can send them to a, to a little progressive private school, mm -hmm. right? But they were remembering something mm -hmm. that, about how to do this. And so we hear, it just came to me. Here we're talking about a liberal order and, Oftentimes, part of what I'm thinking is like voting and democracy and senates and all of that. But how about, how about integrating this mm -hmm. in, in the sorting out our, our differences, right? Let me, let me give an interpretation of that. And yes. I, I, I'm curious what you think, because I think there's something in the ritual that is an enactment of our relationship to the sacred. Because even uh, if, if you think about, when we talk about liberal society and uh, even the liberal society, uh, of when, when you uh, do your oath or uh, any kind of ritual, uh, what makes a ritual a ritual really is that it is connected an, to an enactment of acknowledgement of something that is uh, deeply meaningful, which uh, in my sense is, is aching to the, what the word sacred really means. If you want to talk about it in, in a kind of a secular way, the, the existential deepest meaningful uh, equates for my understanding what the word sacred is about. You, do, you don't need a metaphysical context necessarily to, to use this word. Uh, and any kind of ritual Uh, is a communal uh, enacting, re uh, shared, relating to this sphere. And uh, there's something to, uh, to relate as a collective, as a group, uh, to this sphere, however we define it. We can define it in, in, in a Christian way. We can define it in an indigenous way. We can define it in a Buddhist way. But there's, there's, there's something in this enactment that is an expression of... Uh, Honoring the meaningfulness of all of that. Yes. Not just as a an, as an kind of a mental idea that we talk about, but as a collective enactment. Uh, that is a, 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 a human capacity that, uh, interesting enough, I think everyone can feel that, that when, you, when you do that, you may, you may hate it, you may love it, but you, you can feel the power of it. Amen. Amen. I cannot agree with you more on that. Thomas, I, I often think about, I grew up very Catholic, mm -hmm. right? But also Puerto Rican Catholic. Me, and and in, a, in a charismatic tradition, and that is the charismatic tradition is as Pentecostal as you can get while remaining Catholic. But Pentecostal, for people that don't know, I mean, you, you dance and you use your hands and you move your body and you prayed over people by touching them and people were slain in the spirit and spoke in tongues. It was very physical, right? And, I, and as important as the Protestant Reformation was, and I'm not, not saying that it wasn't, the church was corrupt. But what it did do, that, that might have been too much of a loss, is it became of a book, a mind, right? 
Read the Bible for yourself and understand it. It, it eliminated the sense. It eliminated the images, right? It eliminated the kneeling down, the standing up, right? It, it got rid of too much of the ritual and our bodies know things by moving, right? By smelling, by seeing beautiful things, not just by reading text. Mm-hmm. And so I think this, this thing that you're saying, and this is just an old tradition. I mean, pray, rituals that precede um, current religions are even deeper in this capacity to connect us. So for me, I think I would say it's ritual connects us. You can do ritual by yourself and you should, right? But collective ritual has this magic of connecting us to each other, right? And to the mystery together, right? It brings both planes. It's like it feels sacred because there's something we're doing together and that there's something that is greater than the sum of its parts that is also present, right? Mm -hmm. And I think some of the magic and medicine of the work that we are doing together, I think, and you could correct me, is that many rituals that we've inherited you, the individual, can be easily lost in it, right? This we do have a, that, and that is primal, right? To kind of disappear into the hole, whether mm-hmm. it is a sacred hole or the mob hole, right? It's something that that we can do. And so I feel, I intuit um, from the from this dialogue work and responsibilities that is a it is a ritual that brings us together that touches on the sacred and keeps us there, right? And, and like the essence of you is a full participant in mm-hmm. it. You know, and, and, I, and to me, that is a miracle. The possibility there, mm-hmm. um, it, it's extraordinary, which is why I, I, I keep turning towards that. Why I'm so grateful to you for, for the passionate way in which you've been holding it. I find, I find it very fascinating that you went there where you just went because... Uh, I really wanted to touch on the on the possibility of dialogue to be a collective ritual, yeah. a collective ritual of, uh, let me say it this way, the sacredness of the open society. Yeah. Where we, as individuals, but also with our traditional and whatever else identities, can come together in a way that something uh, opens up, gets birth between us. Yes. That's related to all these dimensions of individuality, of rationality, of identity, but also of not knowing, of emergence coming together. Uh, that shows for me a depth of, of the capacity of what you're talking about liberalism, and I would also call it the open society, yes. is about that we usually don't touch because we have this kind of uh, secular way of dealing with it where it's just a transactional thing. We deal things, but no, coming together and and and, create, and be able to find mutual understanding, yeah. not because somebody forces us to, but because we, at least to a degree, start to understand each other. That, that's a sacred enactment of our capacities to be human together and create a human society. To see this in this ritual way, uh, for me, has an understanding of the sacred 
foundations of what the openness of our liberal society can be. It yes. not necessarily is because it's it's basically it's part of this commodified secular uh, flatland. Yeah. But there's something that I find there's some sacredness in this that's not wokeness on, on one hand and Putin on the other hand, but there's something that I, I feel are, is, becomes much more to the forefront right now that we uh, we, we have to defend this. Yes. Um, we have to we have to cultivate it and we have to honor it because uh, this is where the sacredness of our uh, uh, world uh, depends on. Yes. Uh, if we if we are able to do that, we are able to live together. If we are not able to do that, we are not able to live together. Yes, yes, I could not I cannot agree with you more. I really, it's it's beautiful. It's sacred what you're saying. Part of what comes to me as you say it is there is a what we're talking about demands an honoring of the dignity of our individual humanness, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a dignity, right, that is not the one that is kind of written in constitutions and declarations of human rights, right? Which 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 is kind of a, an assertion. It includes that I'm not against human rights or constitutions, but it but it, it kind of it kind of brings it back to this to this purely rational, right? Like you are you are alive, therefore you're dignified. True, but you're alive, therefore you're sacred, right? Therefore, there's something holy in your aliveness, and and and, and there's a dignity that is kindled in that aliveness. Right, and, and so, and so the, what the ritual does is it moves us away from a transactional way to try to contest our ideas, mm-hmm. right? And it sparks the same. It it, it it sparks the sacred fire, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 acknowledges the the mysterious holiness, right? Of, of each of these flames coming together. To form a sacred fire, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I and I and I think that is part of uh, of what is necessary and 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 forgotten in a post-rational um, in a society where like scientific rationalism has become a religion in itself, right? And it's like, how do I keep that? How do I keep the smarts of that? How do I keep enough science? to know vaccines are helpful and global warming is happening, mm-hmm. right? Without, right, forgetting that, that there is something mysterious and sacred in this dignity mm-hmm. and in this fire that is kindled with our care and our attention. Shibran, thank you so much for that conversation. Yeah, thank really you. Enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Feeling really blessed by it. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you you for everything that you do. Thank you.